All right, everyone else, if you've got a Bible, you can turn with me to Acts chapter 15. That'll be our text today. We are continuing on through our series that we've called Truth Seekers. We will wrap this up next week, and then we'll move on to some other things. And just wanted to take the fall talking about what does it mean to be a people who are devoutly committed to truth and to be able to say that as followers of Jesus, we are actually more committed to truth than anybody else. And how do we navigate the challenges of that in the age in which we live, where there are a million different opinions and a million different versions about what truth is? And so we wanted to talk about what do we do? How do we measure? How do we check? And so if you've missed any of the sermons, you can catch up with them online. They're all there on our YouTube channel. We have our audio podcast up as well. And I would encourage you to to do that just because there is a bit of a, a progression of how the teaching has built upon its, itself and the different sermons, how they interconnect. So I'll encourage you to go catch up. And as we get ready to wrap this up next week, uh, just a reminder, it's an easy series where it's very easy to say, well, I know someone else who needs to hear that. But I've been saying all along, no, you're the one who needs to hear that. I'm the one who needs to hear that. There is nobody so pure, so smart, so holy that it's not possible for them to be deceived. It's just something we are warned constantly in Scripture to be aware of, and we've been using the example of Adam and Eve, who were sinless at the beginning, and saw God face to face, and knew who he was, knew his glory, knew his voice, were right there with him, and when the enemy came knocking, they were still deceived. They fell into deception. Uh, and so there is nobody who is so close to God or so pure that this isn't possible. Uh, it's just part of our fallen human nature. And so we want to be able to make sure that we are all paying attention. We are all doing our homework. We are all digging into truth everywhere we go. And as we get ready, we're in November now. How about that? We've made it through to November in just the longest year ever. Uh, 2020 just feels like an eternity long. And when you think of March, when everything started and just how long ago that feels, and we've gotten through spring and we've got gotten through summer and we've gotten through much of the fall and we're heading into winter now. It's going to be Christmas soon. And I was Googling this week because everything in the news is bad, right? Everything everywhere is just between COVID and restrictions and surging cases and new lockdowns and an American election and racial tensions and there's a locust plague in Africa and there's just so much going on. And then you're reading through and it's like, oh, in 2020, you know, Van Halen passed away this year and James Bond died yesterday and Black Panther, and it's just like, man, it's been a heavy year. And so I was Googling, well, what are some good things that have happened in 2020? There's got to be some good stuff. And there wasn't a lot that the internet was bragging about. It was so consumed with what is negative. And I went, but we know that's not true, right? That's not the whole truth. It's been a hard year, but there's been good stuff going on as well. And so as I was looking to, well, what's been good around the world in 2020? Of course, there's lots of stories of amazing things. There's weddings happening, and they're happening differently, but they're happening, and there's babies being born, and there's, there's cool breakthroughs happening in technology and in science. I read something that talked about creation got a breath when lockdown was happening, and air quality improved, and water got better. And, and it, it's not staying that way as things pick up again, but there was was just a moment where it was like, okay, so what are we going to do to help steward the creation well and make sure that we're taking care? And so there are good things happening everywhere. And as I look at the church, not just our church, but the church in general, and just having heard so many stories of, hey, we've had amazing family time this year, or I've learned a new hobby this year that I never learned before, or God spoke to me in the quiet of having to take a break from work for a while, and God's given new direction for my life. There's good things happening there. And so uh, as I look at church itself and 
say, hey, we had to reinvent church this year entirely, and no one told us it was going to happen. It was just bam. And every church had to recreate itself. And you know what? By the grace of God, we've all figured it out. And we figured out how are we going to keep worship going and how are we going to keep teaching going and how are we going to keep community going. And churches everywhere have had this just bomb dropped on them this year and churches everywhere are figuring it out. And I had a meeting with some pastors this week and, and everyone's figuring it out a little differently, but it was so cool to hear. Here's how God's leading this church and here's how God's leading that church and here's how God is leading this church. And even just in our church, uh, I asked Susan to track some of this down. Uh, it's this, a lot of this was happening during lockdown lockdown and, and even beyond, but um, our church, our church personally, uh, throughout 2020, uh, we partnered with UE Enclosures, George's Business, and lots of other churches and organizations in town, and we put out almost 800 care kits with PPE, with treats, you remember, with letters and different things. Beyond just the kits, uh, over 500 face shields, 16,000 gloves, 615 N95 masks, 750 surgical masks. Della and her sewing team at our church got together and sewed hundreds of masks for us here at the church. Linda and some of her life group got together and prepackaged over 12,000 masks that could get to the migrant workers around the area when they were having outbreaks on the farm. Susan and her team has served 700 meals to people in our community who are in need, and I know a large number of you have brought meals to your neighbors and done lots of different things. So there are just cool things that God is up to. There are cool ways in which we've been able to engage with our community in a new way. There are cool things that God has put in your heart. I'm just going to throw this out there, though, of all the things I just said, all female-led, gentlemen, all ladies were taking the charge on those things, with the exception of George, who spearheaded the kits there. So I'm not trying to start a competition. I'm just saying, men, we're definitely losing the competition. And so there's been cool stuff going on, and then just stuff like this. Uh, Mary Clausen was up here sharing back in the summer uh, some of her story of her pregnancy journey and trying to get pregnant again. They have their daughter Sierra on the left here and we're trying to have another and just the heartbreak and the loss that went through with all of that. And so they began fostering and they began fostering Zoe, the little girl on the right, and began an adoption process and everything got delayed with COVID, right? The courts were shut down. Everything was shutting down. But we found out this week officially that Zoe has been legally, officially adopted into this family. And so that is a done deal and a settled matter. So when things are hard, you have to maybe look a little harder to see where God's at work, but he is at work. He is always at work, and it doesn't always look the way we want, and it might not always be the way we think it should, but he is always at work in something, and it is, it is just prudent for us, especially in a year when things are harder, to make sure we're doing the hard work to see where he's working, because if all we do is listen to the news, we're just going to be depressed all the time. Especially this year. If all we do is listen to one side of the story, then, then we're just going to get caught up in that one side of the story. But part of our search for truth is uh, we're not just going to listen to one side of the story. Part of our search for truth is, is we're going to listen to other sides. We're going to go digging for it, and we're going to listen to multiple voices, and we're going to figure out where the truth is. Disagreement is not necessarily a bad thing. The Apostle Paul writes, there's disagreements among you. Those can be good because they're actually going to show where the truth is. They're going to show where the favor of God is. And so we can't know what the truth is sometimes until we've had some debate and disagreement. And so we see an example of that in our text today. Let's look at Acts chapter 15, 
So the church is growing and expanding. The gospel is spreading. Gentiles are starting to get saved. These are non-Jewish people. They're starting to come to the Lord. And the church wasn't quite sure what to do. Jesus had come to Israel. All of the apostles are Jewish. They are people of Israel. All of the people initially getting saved are Jewish people. And then as the Holy Spirit is moving, the Gentiles start getting saved. And so let's pick it up here in Acts chapter 15. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the believers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some, some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. When they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this as it is written. After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it, that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the, all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things, things known from long ago. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. And so that does become church policy. They all agree. They say this feels like the Holy Spirit to us, and so we are going to make that our new policy moving forward. So this gets called the Council of Jerusalem. It happens somewhere around 50 AD. So it's, it's a couple of decades after Jesus has left the earth. And the gospel is spreading quickly and in lots of different ways. And it gets to the heart of the question, well, what is the truth on this matter? There is some disagreement amongst the teachers of the church. Some of them are saying, hey, we believe that all the Gentiles need to get circumcised and, and become Jewish, essentially, in the way that they're living out their faith. Some of the apostles and teachers don't agree with that. They say, no, hey, if they've got the Holy Spirit, that's what they need, and God's proved that he saved them. They don't need to add anything to that. And so there's a debate, and the question rises, well, what's the truth? And for those who come from the party of the Pharisees, what sometimes gets just called the circumcision group, uh, they come to that opinion fairly. Because in the Old Testament law, it said that if a Gentile wants to follow the Lord, they can, but they have to be circumcised and they have to follow the law. 
And so they have Bible backing up that opinion. They're not just making it up. It's not just tradition talking. They are saying, hey, our understanding of the scripture is that if you're a Gentile who wants to walk with the Lord, then you have to be circumcised. You have to follow the law. They come by that fairly. But the apostles don't agree with that interpretation, and so they need to get together. And I, I just love the picture of the search for truth that this brings. Because they have different views, they have different opinions. They don't say, hey, shut up, circumcision group. We're going to block you on Facebook because we don't like what you have to say. They say, all right, let's sit down. Let's have much discussion and debate. Let's hear from the circumcision group. Let's hear from Peter. Let's hear from Paul and Barnabas. James says, let's open the word of God. And as they wrestle through it together, the truth begins to emerge for them. And so as we talk about being people who are searching after the truth, we're just to remind you where we started in week one. The search for truth requires a careful investigation into evidence. It would have been easy just to say, hey, let's go with the circumcision group. It would have been easy to say, hey, let's go with what Paul and Barnabas are saying. But the Council of Jerusalem said, no, we need to investigate the matter. We're not sure where the truth is, so we're going to do an investigation. At the first week, we talked about this passage from Luke chapter 1. As Luke is starting off his gospel to Theophilus, he says, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, everything that Jesus did, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. So the apostle, or as Luke is writing, he's saying, okay, so I have gone to the eyewitnesses. I've made a careful investigation. I have done my homework. I have dug into the truth. I didn't just believe everything that I've heard. I have actually done a careful investigation. And in an age where truth and claims of truth just pop into our phone all the time, when everybody's walking around, well, I heard this and I heard that, and this person said this and that person said that, this preacher saying this, that preacher saying that, how in the world are we supposed to know what's true and what's not well one thing for sure is we better do a careful investigation we don't just grab on to the voices that we like we don't just listen to everything and take it as truth automatically the word of god says that we are to test all things first thessalonians 5 21 test everything hold fast to what is good abstain from every form of evil that includes the words that i am speaking to you right now test everything and we've talked in previous weeks about how we test by the word of God and by the spirit of God, how we test by the example of Jesus Christ. And so we don't want to just assume uh, that everything is truth automatically. And we also, on the flip of that, don't want to become cynics because some of us just look at everything and all we're seeing is what's wrong. And that's cynical, and, and that's not a good and godly quality. But to look with a critical eye, I don't mean an eye full of criticism, but a critical eye that says, okay, this person is claiming truth. Why am I agreeing that that is the truth? And that's really the question. Why do I agree that this is the truth? I've been to school for many years, and uh, Pastor Sarah told me this about you, actually, Ben, uh, this week. Ben has also been in school. He's working on his master's degree. And there's lots of different opinions that come up at school. And Sarah said, Ben is really good when he's discussing something with somebody. If they say something that he doesn't agree with, he doesn't get mad at them. He doesn't get accusatory. He doesn't say, here's where you're wrong. But he just says, why do you believe that? Why? Then it's a question and not an accusation. 
and then he can bring his viewpoint. And I go, that's good, Ben. I didn't tell you I was using you as an example today. But that's, that's a good critical eye without being a cynic, right? That's saying, hey, this person might actually have something to teach me. There's humility there. And we talked last week about Philippians 2, which says, in humility, consider others better than yourself. And so if I go into every disagreement knowing I'm right and knowing that you're wrong, I'm not considering you better than myself in that moment. There's a humility where I don't have to agree with everything you say, but just to ask the why. Why do you believe that? What scripture are you basing that on? Have you considered the scripture over here? And so we want to be able to test everything, just to be wise and discerning, and in our discernment, we test things. The search for truth requires careful listening to multiple voices. This is what happens in the Acts 15 story that we just read. They don't just listen to the circumcision group. They don't just listen to the apostles. They say, we're not sure where truth is, and so we're going to listen to everybody, and we're going to trust the Holy Spirit to lead us into truth as we do that. I don't mean listening to every single voice out there. We'll come back there in a second. But Proverbs 18, 17, uh, this was a life-changing verse for me when I came across it while I was in school. In a lawsuit, the first to speak seems right until someone comes forward and cross-examines. So my kids come to me sometimes, right? Kaylee will come in, he hit me! Ah! I'll say, what happened? She'll say, nothing! I was sitting there minding my own business, and he walked up and hit me for no reason. I go, well, that doesn't sound true. But Matt, get in here. What's your story? Why did you hit her? You shouldn't have hit her. Well, I, she hit me first, and she called me a name, and she hit me, so I hit her back. Okay, so there's more to the story. And I'd be a bad father if I just went, Kaylee's right, forget what Matthew has to say, Kaylee has the truth, and that's it. So when someone's speaking, they can sound very wise, it can sound like truth, but there's wisdom in letting the cross-examination happen. In the Old Testament law, when someone was going to court, it was never allowed that just one witness could come forward, there had to be two or three. There had to be more than one voice. There had to be multiple voices weighing in on what the truth is. If we're going to search for truth, I can't just latch on to the first perspective that I hear. I need to hear the other side. We talked last week about disputable matters. You can't just pick the verses that line up with the way you land on those disputable matters and stop there. You have to engage with the other side. If I'm writing a paper for school, I'm not allowed to just say, hey, here's the scripture passage, here's what I think it means. I have to say, here's the scripture passage, here's what I think it means, here's what people who disagree with me say, and here's why I think they're wrong. You, you can't just ignore the opposing voice. In a courtroom, you can't just ignore the opposing side. If you were arrested and you knew you hadn't done anything, if you were innocent and you'd been arrested for a crime and you go into court and the person accusing you gets up and says, hey, Jeff did this thing to me and I, he broke the law and he needs to go to jail. And if the judge just said, well, that's all I need to hear, guilty. You go, that's a terrible judge, right? That's a terrible judge. And if we're going to be judges of truth, which we are called to be, we can't just listen to one side either. That makes us terrible judges of the truth. In a lawsuit, the first to speak seems right. It sounds like truth. It sounds like wisdom. But then the cross-examination happens, and you go, oh, there's another side to this. Maybe the other side is actually the truth, but I need to be able to listen to both so that I can figure this out. So when we're trying to discern in this life, like most of us get our news from certain sources. Most of us enjoy certain news sources better than others. But there's a couple of big ones. One of them would be Fox News. One of them would be CNN. 
And so I know a lot of us like Fox News, and we we're, we're tend to be more conservative. Uh, a lot of Christians, by nature, Fox News has a very strong conservative bias. CNN has a very strong liberal bias. Now, my point is, if you were to watch Fox News, Obama never did anything right, and they will always defend Trump on everything. If you were to watch CNN, Obama was practically a messiah, and Trump can never do anything right. Now, these are secular news sources, right? They are not the inspired Holy Spirit coming to bring truth to us, right? These are human organizations. My point is, if I'm getting all my news from CNN, that's incredibly unwise. I thought someone would amen that. <laughs> if I get all my news from Fox News, that is equally unwise. Both of these sides are bringing biases to the table. Neither one of them are flawless. And so if I want to know the truth about Donald Trump, then I'm going to hear what Fox News has to say about him. I'm going to hear what CNN has to say. If I want to know a little more about the truth of Trudeau, I'm going to listen to a conservative news source and I'm going to listen to a liberal news source because neither one has the market cornered on truth. And if I'm only listening to one side of the story, I'm not searching for truth overly well. And so we're all bringing biases. We said this in week two. There is nobody so pure and so holy that they have shut down all of their biases, all of their worldview, all of the lenses. The conservatives will always come with a particular lens and viewpoint. The liberals will also always come with a particular lens and viewpoint. So on my phone, honestly, I have Fox News app and then I have CNN right beside it. And I'll go, all right, what do the conservatives think about this particular issue? What do the liberals think about this particular issue? Almost always, I'm sure the truth is in the middle sometime, just like when my kids fight. The truth is usually in the middle somewhere. Neither one of them has the market cornered on what truth is. When it comes to our uh, understanding of the world, are we letting a cross-examination happen? Or are we just pre-deciding one side and ignoring the other side? There is wisdom that can happen when we listen and let that cross-examination happen. When it comes to the body of Christ, uh, yesterday was Halloween, obviously, on October 31st. Uh, if you're a theologian, you also celebrate what we sometimes call Reformation Day. And that's the day that Martin Luther went and he hammered his challenges on the Wittenberg door. And it starts, it's not the, the whole thing, but it's one of the main triggers that launches the Reformation. And from there, uh, there's lots of splintering that happens in the body of Christ. And a lot of it is over theological convictions. Some of it is over political connections there. But, you know, the church, when it starts, there's one church, right? The book of Acts, there's one church. And then about a thousand years in, there's the great schism. Uh, so the East and West break off from, one each other, from each other. 1517, the Reformation happens. And out of the Reformation, there's a lot of splintering that happens in the Protestant church. But all of these uh, are grounded in Christ. All of these are grounded in, in the Word of God and have different convictions maybe, different emphasis on certain things. I'm not saying every teacher out there is. I'm talking about these major streams of the church. And one of the things I've loved about being in school is getting exposed to so much. Because we have a tendency to say, well, I like this teacher, right? Or I like this particular thing, and I'm going to listen to them. And that's good. But what about what this other brilliant teacher over here has to say, who has a different perspective? And so when I'm trying to understand a passage of Scripture and I'm looking at commentaries in different teachers, I don't want to just hear what the Anabaptists have to say. I want to hear what does a Pentecostal teacher think about this passage? What's a Reformed teacher think? What's an Anglican teacher think? What's a Baptist teacher think? What's a Presbyterian teacher think? Because the body of Christ is big and it's beautiful, and most of us engage with about this much of it. And I've had this conversation with many of you. 
We all have a flavor that we like. We all have a preference for the type of teaching that we like. But there's growth, there's maturity, that stretching that happens when we go beyond just our narrow little sliver of what we teach about the Word of God. So I've said to some of you, hey, I notice you're, you're following lots of Pentecostal charismatic stuff. Why don't you check out a Reformed teacher over here? It'll challenge you. You might not like it. I'm not saying you have to agree with it. But, but to, to be able to say, hey, I don't have the market cornered on truth. My stream of the church doesn't have the market cornered on truth. There is wisdom in looking at what other people have to say. And so I'm not saying listen to everybody, just to be clear, because that would be a stupid thing to say, especially in the age of the internet, but find smart and solid teachers, teachers who are grounded in the gospel and the word of God, teachers who show good character that is worthy of emulating. Find some of those who maybe even disagree with you on some things and then see what the Lord does. I'm not saying buy into what they have to say automatically either, but let that be part of your search. Let that be part of your process of figuring out where truth is. So you can listen to Anabaptist teachers, and we've got great ones. You can listen to Bruxy Cavey. You can listen to Greg Boyd down in the States. You can listen to Chris Walker. You're welcome. But if you're also looking to grow, find some solid reform guys. Listen to John Piper. Listen to Tim Keller. Uh, find some Baptist guys like J.D. Greer and Matt Chandler. Find some Pentecostal theologians like Gordon Fee. Like you could go on and on and on. Uh, N.T. Wright is an Anglican guy who's brilliant. I don't agree with him on everything but he's brilliant and he loves Jesus and he loves the word of God right we don't want to be the people who in the lawsuit are just listening to one thing and ignoring everything else right our search for truth requires a search and I have grown up Pentecostal primarily it was part of through this search that I left actually left behind some Pentecostal distinctives that I had just been taught my whole life I still love that movement and I miss it being a part of it but uh, there were things that I got stretched on by engaging beyond just my own narrow view we need to let our convictions be tested we need to let them be crossed examined in our search for truth and that's part of the journey that we are all on the search for truth requires careful listening to trustworthy voices not just listening to anybody out there but voices that you trust proverbs 12 15 says the way of fools seems right to them but the wise listen to advice who wants to be a fool anybody nobody wants to be a fool so it's foolish for me to just say, I think this sounds like the right way to go, and not to talk to anybody. The wise listen to advice. And the reason that the wise listen to advice is because the wise understand their own limitations. When it comes to knowledge, when it comes to information, when it comes to, to expertise and things, like the world of knowledge is so big and the reality is we are ignorant of almost all of it, right? All of the knowledge in the history of the world, we're ignorant of almost all of it on a personal level. Turn to the person next to you and say, you're ignorant. Ignorant doesn't mean stupid. Even the smartest people in the world are still ignorant. Ignorant just means literally you don't know. You're not an expert in everything. You don't have understanding about everything. God has actually specifically set it up this way. Wise people know their limits, know their weaknesses, understand their ignorance. Don't let it be an insult. They just say, hey, I don't know some things, so I'm going to take some advice. 
I'm going to go to people who know more in that area than I do. And so we all have areas of expertise. We all have areas, you know, in our job or in our giftings where we know something and we have some skill there. But then there's a bazillion other things where we don't have that expertise. We don't have that knowledge. We don't have that gifting. And so the wise lean on others in that moment. The wise are not fools who always just say, hey, I'm just going to do what I think is right. And there's just an unusual age we're living in, in the age of the internet, where we have access to all information, basically, right? All information that has ever existed. And it deceives us into thinking we don't need other people to help us anymore. And when I say expert, I don't just mean a paid professional. I just mean other people in other areas who know more stuff. And there's this weird thing that gets said, and it doesn't make any sense to me. People will say things in our time like, well, all opinions are equal. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. All opinions are not equal. All opinions are valid. No, all opinions are not valid. What a ridiculous thing to say. Well, I'm entitled to my opinion. That is true, for sure. Everyone's entitled to their opinion. I will say that absolutely. Sometimes the opinion you feel entitled to is ignorant and wrong, but you are entitled to it, for sure. So I don't know anything about cars. Like, I don't, my brain doesn't work with mechanics even a little bit. When my car breaks down, I take it to Wes over here. Wes has a shop. Wes knows what he's doing. And so I wouldn't know a carburetor if you pointed it out. I don't know what it looks like. If you were to hold up two car parts and say, which one is the carburetor, a coin toss would be as accurate as my guess on what a carburetor is. So I don't know anything about that. I'm ignorant in that area. But Wes is brilliant at it, so I need his help. And the body of Christ picture that we get given in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and Paul talks similarly in Romans 12, is that nobody has all the gifts. Nobody has all the gifts. And so in terms of the spiritual gifts, it's the Holy Spirit has made some of us teachers and some of us prophets and some of us speak in tongues and others interpret those tongues and some of us serve and some of us administrate. And the point is you have something that the Holy Spirit has given you that is your gifting, but you don't have all the giftings. So just like your hand can do a lot of things, but it can't move the arm or the legs around, like you need the other parts of the body. And beyond our spiritual gifts, we know that God has just naturally endowed us with gifts. Whether you're a Christian or not, God has given us skills in certain areas. He's given us expertise and wisdom and gifting in certain areas. So you don't want me to weigh in on what's wrong with your car. You don't want that even at all. But Wes is great at that. And so when I go, like I took my car to Wes recently and I texted him and said, here's what's going on. And I took a stab at it. I said, I think it might be this. And so Wes investigates it, checks it out, comes back, and he says, you're right, exclamation point. It was that, because I'm never right. <laughs> and then half an hour, he texted again and said, oh, it actually wasn't that. It was something else. So for half an hour, I got to feel smart in an area that I'm not smart. But like all opinions are equal. No, they're not. No, they're not. You don't want me weighing in on your car. You, you want Wes to do that. You don't want me weighing in on airplanes. You want Jason to do that. You don't want me designing things. You want John to do that. You don't want me baking things. You want Chris to do that. It's not all equal, and it's not all valid. Now, we are all entitled to our opinions, but we need to understand that sometimes our opinions are not right. And this is where we need to lean on people. We need to be the wise who are looking for advice, who are looking to others. And in, again, in the age of the internet, when we have access to everything, like the internet doesn't discriminate. Hey, by the way, guys, this is good information and this is not good information, right? It doesn't tell us that ahead of time. 
And it tricks us into thinking we don't need to lean on other people because we can just Google it. But you can never Google enough, whether it's a theological issue, whether it's a, a car question, whether it's you know, navigating the political situation or, or doctors or whatever. Like You can never Google enough to not need other people still. You just, you can't. You can get the information. The internet bestows information on us, but it doesn't bestow wisdom. It doesn't bestow application. It doesn't bestow expertise. It doesn't bestow gifting. So tell me if this sounds familiar. This has happened to me before. I have some symptoms show up in my body. I Google the symptoms. I know I shouldn't, but I do it anyway. And I Google the symptoms, and I read some things, and it makes me alarmed because Google tells me I have a deadly disease. And so I go to the doctor and I say, I've got these symptoms, uh, I've got this potentially deadly disease, what do you think? And then she'll investigate, she'll do her job, and she'll say, well, no, it's not the deadly disease. If it was that, you would also have this, 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 and this. And I go, okay, well, Google didn't tell me I needed to answer those follow-up questions. <laughs> Google's a really bad doctor. And so I found the information... But I didn't know how to apply it. I didn't know what to do with it. I didn't go to school to study the human body. I didn't go for years and years and years and focus on how to get people healthy. I haven't done this for a long time. So I can find the information, but I'm a fool in what to do with it. So like my opinion on COVID is not equal to Dr. Luther Hayes' opinion on COVID. It's just not. It's not equal. Uh, my opinion should not be carried as weightily as his because he is a professional. He's gone to school. He studies this all day long. God has given him gifting to do that. But the internet tricks us into thinking, no, we don't need those other people. And I've talked to my doctor about this, and she just says, oh, my goodness, like every day people are coming in saying, I have cancer. My phone's told me. And she's like, no, it's not cancer. It's a head cold. Why didn't it come to me first? I could clear it up right away. And like, why spend hours and 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 getting into your head and focusing on these things? Like, we need other people. And it doesn't mean that, like, on a healthcare thing that doctors are automatically right. It just means that even if they're wrong, their wrongness is rooted in experience and training and knowledge and gifting and expertise. Their wrongness is still going to be better informed than my guess because I Googled something a little bit. The internet's not built for integrity. We said in week one, it's built for speed. Not everything out there that it says is good. We can't Google enough to not need other people. The wise listen to advice. So we find smart people in our life who we trust. We go to them with our questions. They help us understand. How do we know if someone is trustworthy or if a source is trustworthy or a website is trustworthy? Here's some questions that will help. This comes from my years of, of school and the kind of questions we ask when we're looking at sources. So number one, who's doing the speaking? What's their expertise? Uh, on the internet, like there were articles getting posted about COVID early on, and I would read the article, and I would dig a little further, and they'd be saying, well, this doctor says this, and I would read through, and I would go, I don't think this doctor actually exists. I think somebody actually just made this person up, which you can do on the internet. So this should sound like an obvious question, but when we're evaluating a source, let's start with, is this person real? Does this person actually have a personality? Can we follow it up in any way? Because sometimes we can just completely make up sources uh, and, and just say that that's what they're saying. What's their expertise? I don't mean necessarily they're a paid professional, but, but what are they gifted at? Why am I listening to this person? Does this person have special knowledge that I don't have? I may be ignorant in this area. Does this person have gifting there beyond what I have? What is their character like? What's their track record? Uh, sometimes there'll be someone who gives a theological opinion and I go, I just don't really love this person's character. 
And so I'm not going to put as much weight into their opinion because I, I don't see that evidence of the fruit of the Spirit. I don't see that evidence that they're walking with the Lord. Have they effectively engaged with the other side of the debate? It's very easy to stand up and say, this is my opinion and everyone else is stupid, but that's not an effective engaging with the other side. Have they actually dealt with the data or dealt with the Scripture or dealt with the opinions on the other side in a compelling way that makes you say, oh, so they've actually really thought this through. They're not just saying, I'm choosing my narrow way and ignoring everybody else, is what they're saying verifiable, reproducible. So whether it's a, a book we're reading or a sermon we're listening to or whatever, um, can we verify what's being said? Is, is there scripture to back it up? Uh, in the science world, can we reproduce the results? A lot of people stood up in early days and said, we've solved COVID. And then others went and said, well, we can't reproduce those results anywhere. So you, you actually haven't solved it. Is there something to this that can actually be tested where we can look to ourselves? What are other experts saying in the field? Or is there a, a bit of a consensus somewhere? Um, there's lots more we could say. These are just a few. But whether it's a news site, whether it's a doctor talking, whether it's a preacher talking, whatever it may be, we want to be evaluating, hey, why am I listening to this person? Why am I trusting this source? There were times in the early days when, you know, a YouTube video would go around, well, this doctor says COVID's no big deal. And then it'd be like, oh, well, he's a chiropractor, right? He's not a viral specialist. He's a chiropractor. And that doesn't mean he's not brilliant at what he does, but he doesn't have expertise into viruses. He hasn't given his life to that. And it's not even that he might be wrong necessarily, but if you're going to listen, like you don't go to your accountant when your tooth hurts and you go, don't go to your dentist for, for financial advice, right? Like you look to people who are gifted by God, who are of character, who have a good track record, and we're going to listen to those people and we're going to put some weight there as we test it all ourselves. Come on up, worship team. We're just about done. There's also this, James 3.17. James 3 talks about there's wisdom that is not of God, and then there's wisdom that is of God. There's wisdom that is of the earth, and there's wisdom that is from heaven. James 3.17 says, Wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, and good fruit, impartial and sincere. So when we're sitting there listening to multiple voices and you go, well, this one sounds really wise and this one also sounds really wise. How do I know which one is truth? How do I know which one is really the wisdom of God? Here's a little test that James gives us. Is that, all right, well, this person I'm listening to, this voice, this perspective, is it pure? Is it peace-loving? Is it considerate? Is it submissive? Is there good fruit? Is the fruit of the Spirit showing up? Is it impartial? It is, is it sincere? And I don't think anybody nails that perfectly, certainly. And just because someone didn't have one or two of those doesn't necessarily mean you throw out the argument. But if the person or the argument is opposed to these things, if it's the opposite, if it's agitated, if it's rude, uh, if it's rebellious, if there's no fruit, then at the very least we should stop and say, why do I think this is truth. Why do I think this is God's wisdom, right? This doesn't sound like wisdom according to what scripture says. And so why am I putting my trust in this in particular? A few questions for us to continue to think about. And I know some of the life groups and clusters are doing these questions. You can pause the video and grab these again if you don't have time to write them all down. So which voices am I listening to when I'm seeking truth, right? Where am I hanging my hat? And then with that, where am I deliberately cross-examining? 
my convictions or opinions. Not just from anybody, but from smart and solid and trustworthy sources. Where am I deliberately allowing that to happen so that I don't get tunnel vision, I don't get narrow-minded? We've talked about the Berians of Acts 17 in this series before. The Berians were there when Paul came and says the Messiah has come. And the Bible says they were of noble character. They received the message with gladness. And then they went to the scriptures to see if it was true. And so it's not just that they went to the scriptures, that's crucial, but it's that, oh, they were willing to let this new idea come in and test it. They were willing to cross-examine it by the word of God, test it and see if it was true. They didn't just say, well, that's not my understanding of who the Messiah is, Paul. They were willing to do the cross-examination. They were willing to say, this is different than what I thought, but what does the word of God say? And they were making a careful investigation into truth. How am I measuring whether a voice is worth considering or dismissing? How am I actually, am I even thinking about it when I I'm listening to a message, when I'm reading a book, when I'm hearing someone speak on the news, how am I measuring whether that's a trustworthy voice or not? And how can I sure, ensure that I'm testing everything in a godly way? The author of Proverbs in Proverbs 15:22 says, plans fail for lack of counsel. With many advisors, they succeed. And if we're going to grow in our understanding, we all need help in this journey to seek truth. We all need help from one another. We all need to do our homework. We all need to listen to voices. We all need to weigh it out. I'm not talking about, you know, the old saying of being so open-minded that your brains fall out, but I'm talking about understanding that none of us have the market cornered on what is right. None of us have the market cornered on what is truth. And there is wisdom in saying, this is a godly source of truth that I'm going to listen to. doesn't mean I'm going to swallow everything. I'm going to test everything, but I'm going to let myself be stretched. I'm going to let the truth be challenged, the thing that I think is truth. I'm going to let the cross-examination happen because we can grow when that happens. And we can go deeper in this journey to what truth is. We can actually get broken out. And when you think of, you know, other examples we've looked at of, of where Christians were promoting slavery, of where Christians were promoting the crusades violence, and you go, man, if someone in those groups had been willing to do some cross-examination, they would have seen that that's not actually truth. But when all we do is surround ourselves with voices that agree with us, when all we do, I mean, this is what we can do now. We can get our news feed set so we block out any voice that disagrees with us, any person that challenges us. We can just remove them from our lives. We can just surround ourselves with the news that we like and the theology that we like. And we might not be on the right track, but we would never know because we're not letting that cross-examination happen. And we shouldn't be afraid of that because truth that is really truth will still be truth after a cross-examination. The Word and the Spirit will lead us there. We trust that by faith. Would you stand to your feet with me, please? We're going to close off in worship. We will sing some truth together as we go, and we will focus our eyes on Jesus as we get ready to head out into our week.